if you're working at a company with data and you have access to it, it is almost criminal for you not to like learn using it. Welcome to the So You Want to Be a Data Scientist podcast. Here we interview awesome data scientists and other data professionals. This show is part of the website so you want to be a data scientist.com. After listening, take my free data science Kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. In the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of So You Want to Be a Data Scientist podcast. Today, I have Mikiko Baisley with me. She's a co-founder focused on ML and data science at Sidewalk AI from San Francisco. Welcome, Mikiko. Hey there. How's it going? Good. How is it going with you? Good, good. Can't complain. Can't complain. <laughs> Great. So let's dive in uh, immediately. You are working at, or I mean, you are founding Sidewalk AI. And what is this company? What does it do? Yeah, so at Sidewalk AI, we're building a new SaaS platform for residential real estate. Uh, our goal is to provide real estate agents and entities uh, with the enablement tools they need to help run and grow their business. Um, I'm a co-founder and came on board this year to work on everything data, ML, and analytics. Nice. So you're basically not replacing real estate agents, but using AI to help them. Absolutely. We feel that at the end of the day, real estate is a people-driven industry and business. Even though the eye-buying industry has grown, um, the reality is the majority of real estate transactions are still managed or involve uh, real people in the form of real estate agents and firms. Um, you know, for a majority of, of individuals, a home is a an expensive proposition, you know, for most people. Um, and majority of people are still, both buyers and sellers, are still not quite at the place where they feel confident and trust in um, in any app or set of algorithms um, to help make this decision for them. Um, you know, so our goal is to help the experts uh, do their best work in finding the right home, um, you know, for the right person at the right time. <laughs> That's great. But I, I feel like this is very... Uh... Uh, this is something that we're seeing more and more. And I, in my opinion, this is also something that the AI industry is going towards more and more, not only using AI as a standalone product, but using AI to help people or using AI to enable people to do their job in a better way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, when data science and machine learning w was being popularized and whenever we do have, um, you know, uh, breakthroughs like AlphaGo or... Um, uh, deep blue, um, you know, the first reaction people have is fear that, uh, you know, the robots are going to come and sort of take over our jobs. Um, but then I think the second reaction is look at all these things we can, we can, we can do with it. We can solve any problem in the world. Um, and that's, that's really not quite true with a majority of, um, you know, the sort of machine learning research uh, that's out there right now, especially in uh, deep learning and reinforcement learning. Um, you know, if we look at the research that's going on in adversarial, um, you know, uh, adversarial networks, uh, there was this fascinating uh, case that or paper that uh, some MIT students had published, where they had 3D printed this turtle um, that was purposely designed to be adversarial. Um, to the neural net that was attempting to um, classify it. Um, and they had taken this turtle, they had 
uh, taken sort of different images and different positionings of the turtle. And out of a, let's say, a set of, you know, 10 or 100 images, 80% um, of them were identified as rifles. Uh, another 10 to 15% were identified as something else. And only that small percentage of images uh, were identified as turtles. Um, even though, of course, us as humans looking at it, we can see, okay, this is obviously a turtle, right? So, um, so that reaction of, okay, ML and AI can solve any problem out in the world, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a little bit naive in the sense that um, we found that there are situations where, where neural nets are um, sort of easily kind of confused. Um, so we have those two ends of the extreme. And I think what we're getting is like that medium, which is uh, machine learning is really good at augmenting, um, automating sort of uh, processes or routines uh, that are kind of recurring and well understood. Uh, where we start to find less value is uh, where we expect machine learning models to replace um, you know, an area that would normally involve a complete sort of human decision-making uh, and creative reasoning. Um, so I think it's really nice that we're at this place where companies are thinking instead of, you know, how do we automate people out of the equation? It's how do we use uh, machine learning data science to enhance um, the productivity and uh, quality and enjoyment of the work that real people are doing? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of this, you know, discussion of are Kindles going to replace all the books in the world and no one will ever want to read books. But at the end of the day, you have these people that still prefer to hold a book, right? Instead of uh, reading mm -hmm. from a tablet. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. That's me. <laughs> yeah, same for me too. <laughs> um, so Sidewalk AI is in um, real estate, but is this the domain that you always worked in or have you worked in some other domains too? Yeah, so I've worked in at least uh, four plus industries in the last five years, um, including applied health signal, solar, 3D modeling, anti-piracy, and HR tech. Um, I think people underestimate the type of flexibility that having a solid skill set, especially a technical and quantitative skill set, uh, will give you in choosing the kind of industry you want to work in. Um, you know, ultimately, your goal as a data scientist is to solve problems. Uh, through analysis, experimentation, research, modeling, um, but emphasis on solving problems. Um, you know, and while each industry does have something unique about it, there can be a lot of commonalities around KPIs, business models, and even pain points such that you can transfer your knowledge and experiences in solving a challenge in one domain to solving a similar challenge in a completely different domain. You know, a form of transfer learning, uh, if you will. Uh, so, for example, I was able to leverage my experience working as a financial analyst at Sunrun, you know, focus on sales analytics and forecasting to build forecasts and predict models for, uh, you know, the sales team, the revenue operations organization at WalkMe, a digital adoption company. Uh, you know, another example, uh, I was able to leverage my experience and knowledge I developed as a growth hacker at my first startup, um, you know, working with sales and marketing automation tools, uh, testing uh, maybe testing email campaigns um, and all that to build a relationship with the growth marketing team at Livongo um, to really kind of anticipate uh, their needs and, you know, deliver on um, sort of their core initiatives. You know, at the end of the day, your goal is to display competence in solving challenging problems using the data science toolkit 
and then to articulate to your potential uh, hiring managers the impact of your work in interviews. Exactly. I, I totally agree. I feel like on the internet right now, there are a lot of resources that make it sound like you need to be an expert in data science before even you can even get a job. Yeah. But yeah, as you said, most of the time, it's more about having the ability to learn new things and being competent and showing that competence to get a job. Yeah, it's funny, like, I've seen a lot of those like learning resources where they're like 100, you know, different classes you can take. It's like, I really love the ones where they're like, no, here are the five, here are the five ones that I did. Um, here's like, here's the the two courses, the, the three courses, the two books, and like the two projects that I did. Boom, right? Like, those are pretty straight to the point. Um, and I think they're a lot more helpful, frankly. I think so too. So uh, talking about courses and uh, resources, can you tell us about how you became a data scientist? What was the journey like for you? How did you make the transition? So since I made the decision in 2016 uh, to pursue data science, uh, the resources that were instrumental to my um, pivot included uh, Springboard's Data Science Bootcamp, uh, Data Science Dream Jobs, uh, Data Science Career Program, um, you know, that's run by Kyle McCow, uh, as well as DataCamp, uh, Coursera, edX, O'Reilly, and RealPython. Um, so when I graduated UCSC in 2013, I only had a degree in anthropology and economics and had no real marketable skills in coding, math, data analysis, uh, experimentation, um, statistics, <laughs> um, you know, and so between 2013 to 2016, uh, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I would take uh, community classes, community college classes, uh, you know, on the weekends here and there, you know, topics like uh, GIS, database design, Java, um, you know, but I was still pretty useless. And in 2016, 2017, um, I couldn't really do much beyond, uh, you know, using Tableau and a little R coding to, you know, automate tasks like here and there. Um, so in 2018, about, um, you know, I joined Springboard's Data Science Bootcamp career track, um, which ended up being a really good option. Um, a big re a big reason why it was an attractive option at that time uh, was due to a combination of factors, um, including price, i.e. the affordability, you know, especially in comparison to the full-time in-person boot camps. Um, you know, there's a focus on there is a focus on uh, project-based curriculum, uh, mentorship with uh, professional data scientists, and broad coverage across a variety of areas like machine learning. Um, algorithms, data analysis, and coding. Um, you know, before Springboard, I didn't know any Python. Uh, and at the end of it, uh, I had a working level where I could sufficiently develop models and analyses. And even now, you know, I, I really prefer working in Python. Um, I haven't gone back to R since then. Um, you know, and part of it too was due to my sort of undergrad, undergraduate GPA, um, you know, I'm ineligible to uh, attend most of the traditional degree programs out there, uh, which actually ended up being uh, a much better solution for me because with Springboard's uh, Data Science Bootcamp, I could still work full-time, you know, um, and not have to take out any loans. Um, I would do the studying, you know, uh, before work and after work. Um, and it was very, just, it was a very affordable option. Uh, Data Science Dream Job was also another amazing resource. Uh, the way I like to sort of explain it, uh, Data Science Dream Job picks up where Springboard kind of 
uh, leaves off by focusing on the actual job searching and interviewing components. Um, you know, through a combination of office hours, practice interviews, um, and the amazing Slack community, uh, I was able to learn from the experiences of the people uh, all around me. For example, you know, on how to approach technical interviews, how to position my um, background experiences, uh, what to do if a hiring manager asks this question or that question. Um, you know, and the resources I uh, continue using um, beyond those two uh, programs slash bootcamps, uh, DataCamp, uh, Coursera edX, O'Reilly, RealPython, um, these are all uh, really amazing resources, especially RealPython. Um, it, it helps me to continue learning um, the coding and the uh, computer science uh, background that, uh, you know, I just, I, I didn't develop in undergrad and um, that's now very, very important in my, you know, day-to-day -day work. And um, you mentioned it briefly, but was there a reason that you chose data science and machine learning? Any specific reason? Data science and machine learning felt like the next logical step after a couple years of working in analytics. Um, while I loved uh, working as an analyst uh, embedded in business functions, you know, even had the opportunity to enjoy uh, experiences like business trips to Switzerland, cooking classes uh, in Boston, uh, learning how to two-step in a cowboy bar in Vegas, um, I really want to focus more on research and exploration as opposed to quick insights and providing directional guidance on a day-to-day -day basis. My thinking was that I could always come back to analytics with a bigger, better toolkit of data science techniques and machine learning algorithms uh, if I didn't enjoy uh, working as a data scientist. Instead, I found that what I enjoyed even more uh, than research, which in reality I don't enjoy very much at all, is crafting products and, and, co and code, uh, specifically the engineering aspects. But no matter what, uh, hat you're wearing in the data science and machine learning space, um, you're required to always be learning um, and to leverage multiple skills uh, in order to solve a single problem. I personally love challenging myself. I love constantly growing. Um, and being a data scientist uh, or a machine learning engineer or any, any other type of data science practitioner uh, means you're signing up for being a Renaissance-esque knowledge worker, a creator, a craftswoman. Um, you know, who uh, tries to always grow their toolkit um, to understand how to use the tools in their toolkit, but ultimately uh, is using a combination of your perspective, uh, your taste, your preferences, your opinions, um, your knowledge in order to create something um, completely new and extraordinary. It's very cool. Yeah, I, I totally agree about the combination of skills. That, that I think for me is to one of the main reasons that I'm so interested in data science, because as you said, you know, feature engineering is kind of simple because once you know what's up with your data and once you know what kind of data you can put in your machine learning model, at the end of the day, it's kind of just thinking of things, you know, what can affect this outcome? So what kind of data can I bring in? What, how can I change this data that in a way that will increase the performance? So it's really creative work and it's really, um, most mostly about thinking and trying to come up with solutions to complex problems. So I think it's a uh, it's very fun in that sense. Um, so I want to hear some examples of projects that you worked on. Can you give us a couple of examples? What kind of you know were you predicting things, or were you trying to model some sort of data? What kind of projects have you been involved with so far? 
So I've had the opportunity to work on a wide variety of projects, but some of my favorites have involved leveraging basic machine learning models to um, attack low-hanging fruit in the sales and revenue operations uh, organizations. One of my uh, first favorite projects uh, was predicting the probability of a scheduled sales call uh, resulting in a create opportunity. Um, I created a you know, a classification model using XGBoost and leveraging data from our Salesforce instance, as um, you know, as well as typical sort of feature engineering techniques, including you know, leverage, including using uh, NLP on you know, like job titles, um, uh, prospect notes, etc. Um, I also leverage feature interpretability tools like SHAP, um, as well as feature importance to uh, shed a little bit of light. Um, to help our leadership understand what the potential drivers were for opportunity creation. Opportunity creation has a downstream impact on KPIs like revenue, quota attainment, etc. Um, you know, so having an understanding of that stage of the cycle, uh, that stage of the pipeline uh, was uh, crucial for our leaders. And this was a really nice experience for a number of reasons. Um, first, it validated and challenged some assumptions the leaders had about their business. Um, you know, so for example, uh, does geo matter or is it the teams or is it the uh, experience of the lead or is it the job title? Um, the second thing that was really nice is it showed the kind of insight we could gain, you know, leveraging our existing data. You know, so for example, uh, with people who had certain titles, you know, how many touches did we need uh, before we could get to the sort of key uh, decision maker? Um, and the third thing that was really nice is that it helped demystify the value of data science and machine learning uh, to the business. Um, I think a lot of the leaders were very, just in general, very skeptical about like, you know, well, what, how could projects like this be valuable to us? Um, you know, and so having this nice little sort of, in a way, toy example kind of helped them understand like, oh, you know, like there are ways to intelligently uh, leverage machine learning, um, you know, to solve uh, some common business problems. Um, another project I really enjoyed uh, was leveraging, um, you know, our marketing campaign data as well as our product usage data to um, try to predict when users would activate into Livongo's health product. Uh, programs by checking in uh, with their blood glucose meters. Um, we ran the model uh, a couple times, um, you know, to see uh, not just whether we could predict whether someone would activate into the program, um, so use their device for the first time, um, thereby triggering the sort of the billing term, uh, but at what confidence we had to predict uh, specific time windows uh, based on tribal knowledge held by the marketing team. Um, the marketing team had, you know, some ideas about like, okay, well, people who uh, activate uh, within this time are less likely to be successful, you know, within seven days of receiving their devices, um, you know, or, you know, we can't really understand uh, whether someone would activate, you know, until like a month out or, or something like that. So um, that project really uh, was kind of nice to um, help really quantify our certainty around when we thought, uh, first off, whether or not we thought someone would activate and when they would activate. You know, and although the, these aren't the only types of projects I've worked on, um, I enjoyed both of them immensely, uh, mainly because they showed how even sort of vanilla machine learning models, uh, when yielded strategically, um, you know, and thoughtfully, uh, the value they, they have in challenging the business to do better. Um, but, you know, truthfully, uh, I love the work I'm doing right now 
building out data science machine learning at Sidewalk even more. Uh, you know, as I'm getting my hands uh, dirty with you know data engineering, um, uh, data pipelines, uh, model deployment, and all that good stuff. Nice. And did you come up with the the first two projects that you mentioned yourself? Was that your idea to look into those things? Yeah. That's very cool because, yeah. yeah, I've been also trying to tell everyone in my audience that they don't have to uh, only do personal projects with random data that they find online, right? If you're already working in a company, maybe they're not using machine learning yet, but you can easily, maybe not easily everywhere, <laughs> but you can try to find some data sets or some data that is collected in your company and actually do data science on it. And it will give you automatic professional experience, experience even though even if your title is not specifically data scientist. Absolutely. And here are uh, you know, some reasons why someone uh, should consider working with data closer to home as opposed to something that they find on Kaggle. Um, so the first uh, major reason is that when a hiring manager or recruiter uh, takes a look at the person's uh, resume, and specifically the project portion, uh, the three questions they'll typically ask themselves and eventually you uh, are one, uh, what problems did you try to solve? Uh, two, what tools do you use? And three, where did you do the project? Um, you know, recruiters are, and hiring managers uh, have a preference for uh, company associated projects. Um, you know, even if you don't have, uh, you know, the, the title, right, the data science title or machine learning title, because it shows uh, you had to deal with real data under real conditions to solve a real problem with, you know, problem being loosely defined here. Um, it could just be something that you found or something um, uh, that's a challenge. It could also just be, uh, you know, analysis or a hypothesis that was generated through uh, EDA of, of, of a data set that you found like at your company. Um, the second big reason is that from a knowledge and skill standpoint, uh, real data is messy and data sets you find on Kaggle or other data challenge platforms uh, are sanitized specifically for the purpose of optimizing uh, one metric uh, with no opportunity for uh, perturbations in like scope, analysis, or focus. You know, um, And the reality is that uh, any project that you would work on in industry uh, there is an organic relationship between, um, you know, what you're trying to understand versus where you actually end up. Because sometimes you might find some interesting patterns in the data that you actually want to explore further and sort of, uh, you know, take advantage of and leverage. You know, and by understanding uh, your company's, you know, real dirty data, uh, it can actually help you build an understanding of your company or business at a level that maybe only the data team and leadership have. You know, so. Um, it can give you like that appreciation for the business. Um, and the third reason for, you know, why you'd want to work with, uh, you know, real data you know, at a company, even if you don't have the title, um, is that sometimes the easiest way to uh, enter data science machine learning is to uh, move into the role at an existing company. You know, it's um, taking the step to analyze your company's data. Um, you know, signals, curiosity, and uh, initiative, which are very attractive uh, traits in a candidate. Yeah, and if you think about it, um, if you were to, to, for example, if you don't have a data scientist 
or machine learning or analyst role and you're trying to go for one, um, you know, at your existing company, uh, you already have that existing professional network and you have those relationships uh, where, you know, they understand your character. Um, you know, maybe they, you know, appreciate the potential value you could bring, um, you know, so it's just really a question of uh, displaying competence in the skills uh, that you would need. But maybe you, because of years of working at the company, you have uh, accumulated domain knowledge, uh, which can be very, very valuable, you know, so that might be one reason, um, you know, one of the three uh, for why you would consider uh, working with data, you know, at that, uh, at your current company. Yeah. Totally agree. And these are some really good advice, I think, for people who want to become data scientists, people who are already working at companies and want to work with data. And uh, I think uh, I'll totally agree with all of them. <laughs> uh, so before we wrap up, the last thing that I want to ask you is, uh, have you ever encountered any bias? Because you're a woman in this area, you know, it's, women are extremely underrepresented uh, in AI and technology in general. Have you ever had any negative experiences due to this? Yes, uh, yeah, unfortunately. Um, so I've worked at another uh, at a number of companies where um, you know I, I was sexually harassed. Um, I've also had experiences where my skills and abilities were disparaged um, because of my gender and looks. Um, you know, for example, I've had some people tell me that I didn't deserve my job and probably did something um, you know inappropriate uh, in order to get it. You know, and it's it's quite hurtful. And uh, you know, what I try to do is I try to focus on constantly kind of growing my skill set, um, you know, and uh, making sure that they don't really have kind of like fodder that uh, they can work with. Um, you know, at, at one company um, that was unfortunately it was my dream company. Um, you know, I was being sexually harassed by this one manager for six months. Um, you know, I really struggled with feeling safe. And at different points in time, had to communicate to my team, both directly and indirectly, uh, to ensure that I was never alone in the room with him, um, especially in a room with a locked door. Um, you know, during that same period, I also experienced a traumatic incident, um, you know, from another individual in tech. Um, you know, between <laughs> the very, very long months of harassment uh, with, this, with this manager, me um, and the traumatic incident, um, I developed a lot of anxiety, you know, and I when I reported uh, the manager who, you know, who wasn't necessarily related to the other incident, but when I reported the manager, um, you know, Tayshar on my way out from the company, um, I experienced months of paranoia and uh, needed to get uh, some kind of help, you know? Um, and I think there were, unfortunately, like at that company, there were some other uh, individuals who had like even worse experiences, um, which unfortunately, uh, you know, they event those individuals uh, also had to eventually leave that company um, in order to feel safe as women, um, you know. And besides, so besides that kind of sexism, um, I've also experienced uh, discrimination just due to my lack of academic credentials. Um, you know, I'm very honest, uh, very open that I don't have any advanced degrees uh, like a master's or a PhD, um, and I'm also very open with my uh, intention of really never getting one. Yeah, and this is not a comment against people who do have PhDs or masters. Uh, it's just that um, between you know uh, my GPA uh, during my undergrad years, um, I know right, like even seven, it's been seven years, right? But even seven years uh, apparently is still not enough time for that to just go away. Um, you know, but between my GPA um, and also uh, my 
sort of sense and feeling that, um, you know, ac academic programs are sort of like behind the curve on keeping up with the skills and experiences that the industry really values. Um, you know, I, I just don't have any intention of getting one. So although I experience a lot of imposter syndrome, um, I do try to combat that by cultivating a growth mindset and focusing on the goal of learning skills and applying them in ways I find interesting, um, you know, rather than chasing titles, accolades, or awards. You know, it's it's the journey, not not the not the goal. Um, you know, and I try to do my part in making data science machine learning accessible, um, you know, by sharing my journey and being honest when communicating with people, you know, my particular perspective, um, you know, as a queer Asian uh, woman in data science, you know, and my sort of, my parting words to, um, you know, everyone who's listening uh, and to everyone who's really interested in pursuing uh, data science machine learning and who's, you know, asking themselves the question, you know, uh, do I belong in this field? You know, I would have to say absolutely yes. You know, if uh, I belong in the field, then you belong in the field. And the reality is that if we don't have uh, diverse perspectives and voices from, um, you know, LGBTQ, uh, you know, from uh, people of color, um, from both women and, you know, non-binary individuals, um, you know, we'll essentially see tech that's created that is not only not for us, but can be adversarial uh, to you know our um, our uh, goals and and outcomes and wellness, and that that's really something to think about. Mikiko, thanks a lot for everything that you shared with us and everything that you uh, talked about. I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to be on the show. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. It was fantastic. Hey, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to take my free data science Kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. See you next time.